Hey, good morning, Grace Chapel. <clears throat> Before we get into God's Word this morning for today, let me share with you an opportunity to live out God's Word to a special group in our area over the next two weeks. Um, we support uh, in prayer and through uh, one of our missionary couples, Ted and Wendy Simchek. Wendy works uh, and does ultrasound at CareNet. It's a pregnancy crisis center. Um, and we are doing a baby shower. As a church, we're doing a baby shower for CareNet. Um, it is a facility that does ultrasounds, that counsels women who may be considering an abortion to go in a, another direction. Um, and uh, they provided us with a list of need, needed items, new, new items that <clears throat> we're going to go out and buy, right? <clears throat> right? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> the list that we're in, and we received this list from them, and it's available at the back table. It'll be um, on our church website, and we're going to send out a couple of emails to remind you uh, through the next couple of weeks. And these items are going to be useful. They don't just counsel and say, you know, you, you shouldn't get an abortion, you should keep this child, uh, this life that, that God has provided, and do nothing. They uh, have a parenting classes and program that the ladies go through. And so these items are really useful in support of that whole ministry to women where they undoubtedly always share Jesus Christ with them, which is paramount. And uh, we're collecting these presents for the baby shower next Sunday, May 1st, and the following Sunday, May 8th, which is Mother's Day. Just a little reminder. Uh, you've got time. And then we're going to be delivering them uh, the week after Mother's Day. So you've got two weeks to get that together. Okay, God's Word. Last week, we ended with John the Apostle's sharing of Thomas the Apostle's declaration of faith in John chapter 20, right after the resurrection. And it was beautiful. I just I said that then, I'm going to say it again. And then chapter 20, where we ended off, ended with these words from John. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. You can find them elsewhere, and there's, there's a bunch. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That would have been a great ending. No? Yes, right? Yeah, it would have been an awesome ending. Wow. I mean, what a way to end. But John doesn't finish there. There's one more chapter, and it's chapter 21. It's what we're going to do today because there are unanswered questions that have been left hanging, and there are issues <laughs> that the disciples have that need to be resolved. And so we have this final chapter that John delivers to us which shows how the disciples finally respond to the risen Jesus Christ and how they are prepared for the life work that God has graced them with. And we got to ask the question, what about us? Those of us in this room who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I put my faith and trust in his death on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again and that one day I'm going to rise again like him. Do we have questions? Okay, good. Yeah, this is interactive. This is okay. You can, you can talk out loud in class. You can do it. You, and you can chew gum, too. Yeah, yeah. Do you have questions? 
do you have issues? Yes, yes you do. I'm, in case you've forgotten, I'll remind you what some of those are. And how are you and I today, how are you and I responding on a typical day in the neighborhood to our risen Jesus Christ? What does our life look like? Do you live like you really believe that he has prepared you for your life's work, whatever that is today? First, verses 1 through 14, closure. (laughs) We all want closure. Closure on the past. After this, Verse 1, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. John doesn't explain why the disciples went to Galilee. He just tells us that they did because John assumes by the time of this writing that people, and of course you and I today, are already familiar with the three other Gospels that have been circulated, circulating for decades throughout the uh, known world, Matthew, Mark, Luke, very good, yeah. And they've been circulating all over the place uh, in, in various forms, and it's only in Matthew and Mark that we're told the reason why the disciples are all the way back up by the Sea of Galilee where they actually started from. Jesus had told them, Luke, it's in, uh, Luke tells us that uh, Jesus had told them to go north from Jerusalem and just wait, wait there for me. So, verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples, who John doesn't even bother telling us who they were, um, were all together. So there's seven disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. (laughs) And they said to him, we will go with you. Uh, And they went out and got into the boat that they might catch (laughs) <laughs> that night they caught nothing. Just as day... Is this sounding familiar, by the way? Okay, just... Because John wants it to sound familiar. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Well, cast your net on the right... Is this sounding familiar? <clears throat> cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And John also expects us to notice the direct connection here between what happened when they were first called to follow Jesus about three years approximately previous to this and what is happening right here, right now. John didn't record that huge catch of fish when Jesus first called some of these same disciples on this same lake, experiencing the same kind of failure. But Luke does, and it's Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 4 to 11. So this is one of those ding, 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 ding moments. Have you had those? Some of us need more dings than others, but this is one of those moments for the disciples. (laughs) First for John. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John's referred to himself throughout this gospel, verse 7, therefore says to Peter, it's the Lord. And when, I love Peter's reaction, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. (laughs) And the other disciples came in the boat, um, dragging the net full of fish. Peter left all the work for them, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. To me, that's far. When they got out on land, 
They saw a charcoal fire in place, fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, so he is helping out, full of large fish, 153 of them. (laughs) And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So John, a fisherman, sees the significance of this. We'll talk about it later. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So I, I know what you're saying. Fish for breakfast. Mm. Me, I would love it. You, maybe not so much. They would. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And John is really going overboard to let us know Jesus Christ is alive. And they saw it. These seven disciples saw it, witnessed it. John is recording it for us. And Jesus took, came and took the bread and gave it to them And so with the fish, he did the same thing. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You can't detach the details we're reading here in chapter 21 from the challenge the disciples and you and I received back in chapter 20. Do you remember it from last week, Resurrection Sunday? Back on that very first Easter Sunday, the risen Jesus Christ had appeared to his disciples the first of three times. And he said to them in that first time in chapter 20, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then eight days later, he reveals himself, appears for the second time, giving them a glimpse of what was going to happen in this sending that he's commissioning them for. In in chapter 20, verse 29, blessed are those who, he says this to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is that you? You you haven't seen Jesus, but you believe. Yes. Yes. That would be many of us in this room today and around our world celebrating and worshiping God at the same time in different time zones. They were on a mission from God. They were being sent out by God to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ so that others like you and I might believe and receive this new life, this eternal life. The old is gone, the new has come. Amen? So how appropriate that Jesus sent them back to the place of their first calling, the Sea of Galilee, where they could grasp that the task that God had originally given to them, I will make you fishers of men, three years earlier, was really just beginning. So first, the closure of the past. Now second, how do you like this? Breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Are you in? I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
The disciples had quite naturally gone back to their old trade, and there was nothing wrong with that. I've heard messages and teaching <clears throat> which says they shouldn't have been doing this. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read all three Gospels together and go, Jesus had told them to go north from Jerusalem and wait. They are, for the most part, most of them are, of these seven guys, fishermen. They're comfortable with fishing. They're skilled at fishing. So while they're waiting, what would you do? Yes, I'd fish too. They thought they might as well use their time efficiently and catch some food because you, as you're waiting, you tend to get hungry, and it is the morning, to feed and support themselves. But for all their skill, for all their experience, for all their hard work all night long, they didn't catch a thing until a stranger's voice about a hundred yards away asks how they're getting on and offers them some friendly advice, which they take. Now, now why did this, why do you think this happened? Jesus had first called them this way, and now he's renewing the calling. Since that first calling, have things not changed dramatically? Jesus has died, crucified, he's buried, risen again. He's shown himself to them two times already. But the mission hasn't changed. From our eyes and standpoint, if we were there, we'd like, everything's different now. No, the mission's still the same. Nothing's changed. I've, I designed you to be fishers of men. Now it's time to get fishing. And I'd like us to focus this morning just on Jesus asking Peter in verse 15, do you love me more than these? It's been suggested that there are two good possibilities as to what more than these is referring to. <clears throat> the first one, by these, Jesus could well be referring to the, the trade of fishing, you know, the, the fishing boats, the tackle, the gear, um, what was lying there on the shore, their nets. Verse 20 suggests that Jesus was walking away from the breakfasting uh, disciples and was likely going past those fishing boats and all those nets. In fact, if John is deliberately contrasting this story, and I believe undoubtedly he is, with their original calling, the fishing boats would make sense because when Luke recorded that first story, this is how Luke writes it in Luke chapter 5, verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on the shore left everything and followed him. So, you know, for many of us, there is this great attraction with what is familiar, right? It's comfortable. It's safe. It's why a lot of people don't take risks for good and for the bad. It shows up in how we so naturally protect ourselves and isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves. Even, I would say, in our current culture, we overprotect. Um, we overprotect ourselves. We shelter our kids from life's difficulties because we love them. But sometimes it doesn't work out the best for our kids. And Jesus calls each of us to work on spreading his gospel truth, right? That hasn't changed. And it's supposed to fit seamlessly into what you and I are presently doing, into where you and I are now presently living. It's one and the same. It's what we do. It's who we are. And he's calling these men to step out into the unknown to trust him. It's not a new message. 
This is not a new... They, they've been hearing this for three years. But Jesus makes it his parting emphasis. Don't go back. That's the message of Jesus to the disciples, and it's still the message of Jesus to those of us that he has called to follow him. Don't go back. Don't put your trust in anything else to complete the daily task that God gives you every day. Don't trust in anything else. God alone. And I think there's a lot of merit to this explanation. What do you think? Does it sound good? But I think there's an even better one, <laughs> and that's the second one. Did you notice that when what Jesus um, goes on to ask Peter after, he asks him if you love me? What, what he, he asked Peter about, it, he, he, Jesus isn't looking for an apology for what Peter had done on the night of his betrayal. Jesus doesn't, isn't looking for some kind of commitment from Peter, so you're never going to deny me again, right? You're never going to be that fearful. He do, doesn't go there. In fact, we know from reading the other gospel accounts that Jesus appeared to the disciples on that first Easter Sunday. Those disciples at that first appearing told two other disciples who weren't there, but who Jesus had appeared to on the road to Emmaus earlier that day, they had said in, in its Luke 24, again, verse 34 says, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's even appeared to Simon. The disciples knew how big this was for Peter, the, the, the one who denied Christ, how, how broken Peter was over what he had done. So, Apparently, as you read the Gospels together as one, Peter and Jesus had already had some kind of a heart-to-heart. -heart. Maybe even about specifically Peter's denial that we have no record of. So what else could, do you love me more than these, mean? Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? To me, this makes sense. Peter has always been the one to present the strongest personal boast, right? He's always the first in there. Even on the night that Jesus was betrayed, while others were, were growing quiet, Peter insisted in chapter 13 of John, verse 37, I will lay down my life for you. You notice there's no we, there's no our, but I and my life. And then it's Peter who shortly after saying that slashed at a guy named Malchus, the high priest servant in chapter 18, verse 10. But physical courage, as great as it is, physical courage was not enough on that night. And it was Peter with spirit willing but flesh weak who publicly disowned the Lord, his master. So Peter needed a boost. <laughs> To say the least, do you ever feel a little down? And all God's people said, yes. You need a boost? <laughs> and then what is, my experience is this, that God typically sends someone along with a wise word, some wise counsel, 
or a, or, or a caring attitude, <laughs> not a disparaging attitude, with, with some spirit-led word of God understanding, or they just give me a listening ear. And it makes your day. It's like a can of Red Bull. Gives you wings, only way more healthier. So Peter's walking down the beach with Jesus, and John, we read, is the beloved disciple, is not far behind. He's following behind. And Jesus' initial question probes Peter to the depth of his inner being. And isn't that how Jesus probes each of us? He, he goes down to our core. Jesus always goes below the surface. When Jesus goes into your life, it's life-altering, changing. And what I see is that Peter does not try to answer his question in terms of the relative strength of his love as compared with that of the other disciples because he's learned a huge, valuable lesson already. Peter appeals to the Lord God's knowledge of everything. Did you see that? Despite my utter failure, Peter says, in effect, I love you, and you know that I love you. Because nothing is hidden from your sight, Master, my God. And Jesus accepts his declaration this first time, doubtless to Peter's great relief. And then Jesus commissions him, feed my lambs. But that's not the end of it. Three times Jesus asks the same question. And Jesus, uh, Peter is particularly grieved because the same question is being asked a third time, and that's when it must have clicked in, right? He had disowned Jesus three times, as predicted by Jesus himself. So Jesus requires this very elementary yet so profound confession three times. There's no trace of self-righteousness in Peter's response at all. He can only appeal to the fact that the Lord God knows everything. Isn't that all we all have? And therefore, the Lord God knows Peter's inner heart, and he knows your inner heart, he knows mine, better than I know my inner heart. So Peter responds, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you, and that is enough. That's all we need. Unless there be any a doubt that Peter is fully restored to serve God and fulfill his calling uh, from Jesus Christ, Jesus commands him and ends with, feed my sheep. And we know from the book of Acts, again, that Luke wrote, and from Peter's two letters that we still have today, that Peter fulfilled the terms of the service agreement <laughs> that was required of him in 1 Peter 5. Listen to these words. It's 1 Peter 5, how he ends off that first letter, verses 1 to 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. Same words, right? Same idea. All these years later, nothing's changed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering though over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus Christ comes back again, you will receive the unfading <clears throat> crown of glory. And this was precisely the point that Jesus wanted Peter to reach and to get to. A point where, where Peter recognized the weakness of his own character and yet was still absolutely real before God. Not putting on airs, not putting on a smile on Sunday and a frown through the rest of the week. And this is precisely the point that Jesus wants all of us as his followers to reach. A point of realism, a point of honesty before God when we pray, when we talk to each other, when we assist and help each other. If we're to be useful in God's kingdom, we need to lean completely on Him and feel safe and secure in His unconditional love. It's got to be God and nothing else. And I think it's also worth pointing out here that Jesus, this is, this is, kind of, this is really interesting, Jesus didn't ask Peter if he loved sheep. Okay, this isn't an out for you, all right? I'm not, this isn't an out, all right? I just think it's profound that Jesus didn't ask Peter if he loved sheep. And I, and I do love you all. I really, I really, really do. Jesus asked Peter what? If he loved Jesus, if he loved him. And the principle remains the same for each one of us who proclaims to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to serve Christ's people because that's just what they are, Christ's. They're not ours. They're Christ's people, Christ's flock, Christ's redeemed, God's sons and daughters. Oh, my. If you wanted to recruit someone, by the way, to your cause, whatever it is that you got going today, do you think you would have gone about it in the way that Jesus did with Peter? Look, look at verse, verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly. So when Jesus says truly, truly twice, you need to listen. You need to listen regardless, but double whammy. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old... <laughs> You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And then John adds, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. If you wanted to recruit someone to your cause, wouldn't you emphasize all the positive benefits? You get four days of vacation, you get bonuses, you get... And, Peter, and John, Peter's, I mean, Jesus is like <clears throat> telling Peter, okay, here's how it's going to go down for you. <laughs> and it's almost like, no, 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 I don't want to know. No, 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 I don't want to know. Please don't tell me. Well, he does. He, for, for Peter, Jesus thinks this is important. You're going to grow old. <clears throat> You're going to become helpless and weak. And your life will end with you being executed by crucifixion. And Peter's like, sign me up. Jesus wanted Peter to follow him, 
whatever the cost, whatever the future in this reality might hold for him. Does that convict you? Does that challenge you? It does me. Every time I read it, I'm like, that's, that's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Because in my flesh, I'm, I'm running. Being a genuine, authentic disciple of Jesus Christ costs us. And according to Jesus, it costs us everything. You lose temporal things in that they're not as significant to you as they once were. And in return, you gain, by God's grace, everything that's eternal. Everything that, is, that God has in his glories, in his riches, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in heaven. So Jesus <clears throat> was claiming Peter's life completely. And by the time John wrote this gospel... Um, we, we've talked a little bit about that. It's probably in A.D. 80 and 40, 50 years since this episode has gone by. That event, Peter's passing by crucifixion, would have already happened. That's why John adds it here. Peter was dead and crucified when John wrote this, according to, Rome, to the custom that we have passed down tradition in Rome under the reign of Emperor Nero. So no doubt there's anxiety, there's um, trepidation going on in the disciples' lives at this time. So what does Jesus do? Let's review. He fed them, <clears throat> he looked after them, built a fire, cooked some fish, warmed some bread, and not only that, the haul of fish was far beyond their wildest expectations, so large that they even counted the fish so they could remember it for posterity. 153 fish. And when they check their nets, not even, not even a scratch, right? Not, not broken at all. So the message is clear. Are we getting it? Jesus is telling them, I will care for you. I will look after you. I will abundantly supply all of your needs like I always have. And isn't that the message that's still clear today? Church? For those who are anxious this morning, you're anxious about not going back to past ways of doing life, of viewing life, of seeing people. For those of you who are, who are fearful about what it means to take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that is often hostile to that message. <clears throat> I don't want to lose friends. I don't want to be kicked out of my family. For those of you who are concerned about what the cost of commitment is, the truth is evident. Jesus is more loving than you could ever imagine. Jesus is more wise than you could ever conceive. Jesus is more gracious than you could ever hope for. But also notice how Jesus desired to make even clearer to Peter what true, unreserved loyalty to him really means. It's in verses 20 and 22. Peter turned, <clears throat> so they're going down, he's, this whole thing's happened. He looks back, John's in tow, walking behind them, probably listening because he wrote it all down. Peter turns, he sees John, whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and, 
and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Because Peter asked him to. When Peter saw him, he said to, to, to Jesus, well, Lord, what about this man? Isn't that just like us? Right? Okay, I'm going to be crucified. Well, what about them? And Jesus said to him, mind your own business. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus is saying to Peter, and he's saying to you and I today, don't worry about other people. Come on. Don't worry about what they're doing or what they're not doing. Mind your own business, which is supposed to be my business, Jesus says. That's what you've got to worry about. Don't worry about how other people are being blessed in ways that you're not being blessed. Your responsibility, my responsibility is to follow Jesus Christ. That's it. Anything else is gravy. So the disciple to whom Jesus referred, of course, is none other than John, the writer of the gospel. <clears throat> and John now has, uses this opportunity. This is pretty interesting at the end of his book. He uses this opportunity to dispel some rumors that we know that were circulating around the young church at this time that Jesus Christ would return before John died. This is what had happened to these words. Remember, um, people have this tendency, right? We all have this tendency to read too much into what the Bible is clearly saying and what Jesus' actual words were. And remember, these teachings of Jesus that you and I get to read right here today they hadn't even been collected together yet by the time of John's writing. They're all fragmented. They're all over the place. You've got a book of Matthew there. You've got one of the letters of Paul over here. <clears throat> they weren't even readily available yet. You might only have the Gospel of John in your church readings. And so there was a lot of oral teaching going on, and John takes this opportunity to clarify the words that Jesus actually did use and the context in which those words were given to you and I. It's in verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Clarity into your life and my life can only come through the declared Word of God using the filter of God, which is His Holy Spirit. And John's passion is to be our passion, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And John wants others to know he wants them to know the historical facts, but he wants them to know what those facts mean. And at the time of John's writing, there's already all kinds of heresies about Jesus Christ. And so as he closes, he confirms again the trustworthiness of this account. You can take this to the bank every day. Verse 24, this is, is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. John says to you and I today, 
I have witnessed these things. And what's more, verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. I'm so thankful this morning for this gospel account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that it didn't end at chapter 20. As great as that was, chapter 21, I think it, it leaves, it, it takes us to where God leaves us with a ton of eternal hope, with, with this amazing mission to fulfill, with a life that is entirely new in Jesus Christ, and to look at our life that we live today in the country where we find ourselves with a brand new perspective through the eyes of God, not through the eyes of men or the eyes of the news or or what you're hearing on Facebook. Please, would you rise with me? We're going to praise God because that's the appropriate response to reading His Word, to digesting His Word. But even more than our praise, the appropriate response is to go out there and to share the good news of Jesus Christ in whatever ways He's gifted you to do that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. We have been challenged. And our prayer now is that the change that You have fashioned in so many of us in this room would grow, would be strengthened, that we would be obedient and we'd follow, regardless of the cost. And for those in this room, Father, who don't know you, our prayer is that they do know you and that you reveal yourself to them in such a way that they are transformed and changed into the image of Jesus Christ also. We pray this in his most precious name. Amen.